Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, thanks for joining us today on Mortification of Spin. My name is Todd Pruitt, and I'm joined, as always, by Amy Bird and Carl Truman. And today we want to wade into some waters that, um, unsurprisingly for us, can get a little dicey at times and, and maybe even controversial. And that is, to what extent is a Christian's personal views, so to speak, a matter for public concern? Specifically, what I'm talking about is... When a member of one of our churches, a church that practices church discipline, a church that is, that is biblically constituted, when a member of one of our churches holds to a view that our church would consider deeply problematic, and what I want to do, Carl and Amy, is present the problem of what if one of our church members, and we could even ratchet it up a bit, saying what if one of our elders held to views and let's take two different examples, one being racist views, racial supremacist views on the one hand, or uh, let's say that it was someone who was pro-choice or pro-abortion. At what point would a church member's uh, holding to one of those positions become problematic to the extent that it would be a matter for church discipline? Obviously, I'm asking this in light of kind of the recent kerfuffle down in Houston, where a ruling elder of a PCA church is running for the governor of Texas, and he stated in a couple of different interviews some troubling views in terms of policy. He's pro-gay marriage, he is pro-choice, and his views in terms of abortion even put him on the extreme end of the Democratic Party, meaning he doesn't believe there should be any limits at all on abortion. And, you know, there are other liberal Democrats that believe there should be some limits, but not this man. He pledged that as governor of Texas, he would veto any legislation that would in any way infringe upon, quote, a woman's right to choose. So you have that or an example, and I can't think of an example of this, although I'm sure they exist, of someone in our church who holds very strongly to views that would be racist or racially supremacist. Are either of those occasions for church discipline? What are y'all's thoughts? I certainly think the, if we're talking about an office bearer, which of course we were in the issue of the Texas gubernatorial candidate, an office bearer in a Presbyterian church who holds pro-abortion views is clearly, I think, disqualified from office. Mm -hmm. The confessions and catechisms speak very clearly to life matters, particularly in the commentary on the the sixth uh, commandment. Larger Catechism uh, 134 and following. Mm-hmm. I think historically, one of the earliest non-canonical texts that we have, the Didache, which could be dated as late as, as AD 70, actually makes, you know, lists abortion mm-hmm. as one of the things that is forbidden to Christians. So mm-hmm. uh, preservation of life in the womb has been an absolute Christian non-negotiable, I think, mm-hmm. throughout the centuries. Now, having said that, I think when you're dealing with an office bearer, you're dealing with somebody that you expect 
to have achieved a certain level of knowledge about Christian things. Right. If somebody's converted last Sunday, for example, yeah. and comes in for church membership and you ask about abortion and they're not sure whether there should be term limits applied, this kind of thing, mm-hmm. I think when it comes to the church member, one has to handle each case individually and sensitively, given the person's background, what can reasonably be expected mm-hmm. of them at this particular point in, in their Christian life. And what one would want to work with the church right. member who was pro-abortion to some extent right. to teach them a better way. Yeah, it becomes a matter of discipleship. Yeah, yeah. So yes. I wouldn't single out views on abortion as absolutely disqualifying you from becoming a member of the church in the first place, depending on background and context sure. and that kind of thing. And I would see correct teaching about life issues as being similar to correct teaching about theological issues proper within the church. It's something that you do over time as part of the discipling process. Right, right. Now, let's suppose this. Let's say you have a church member who has a blog, and they're not an office bearer, but they are a church member. They've taken vows, and you find out that on this church member's blog, he or she advances ideas that are clearly racist. They hold to separation of races. They prefer segregation to integration. They've posted articles, you know, against interracial marriage, etc. What's to be the response of the church in that case? Well, I mean, I think we're seeing some of that now. Something was just brought to my attention recently I hadn't heard of, which was more of a a social media group, a Facebook group Mm -hmm. called the Concerned Presbyterians. And I've been told some of them are even ministers in the PCA. I don't know that for sure, though. Mm. But uh, they've placed flyers on cars and they have an example of the different points put on their flyers. And some of them are certainly... You know, there's there's no wiggle room. It is racist. It's kinist theology, and it's um, also upholding segregation. Right. It's just kind of shocking to see something like that, and um, with the word concerned Presbyterians. Right. Right. So, you know, what do you do when people? I, I mean, I know I have a blog, and I care very much to be in line with my church's confessions and right. what I'm writing. Right. Yeah. I think part of the problem with racism, of course, is it's become a a very elastic term now. True. You know, there are some websites you go to and you get the impression that if you're a white person expressing opinion, right. you are structurally racist in some right. way. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got the Ku Klux Klan. You have mm-hmm. black segregationists. You know, racism sure. is no monopoly of any given race. Right. So I think, first of all, when we talk about racism, that the first thing you've got to do is narrow it down to the kind of specifics mm-hmm. you're talking about, Todd. Yeah. And secondly, I then think you need to set those against the background of, of biblical anthropology. Mm-hmm. You know, abortion is this in a certain way, and racism is it in another way, and that is mm-hmm. comes down to a question of what it means to be a human person. Right. right. And these are moral issues. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, your views on these things actually reflect what you understand personhood to be and right. made in the image of God to be. So that's, I think, mm-hmm. where one would want to look at, at somebody expressing views online and saying, well, are, are these racist or not? Do they deny the fundamental unity of the human race made in God's image. Uh, mm-hmm. That would be a, a big question for me. Yeah. And I would say in the, for instance, for church officers, in the interview process, a church wants to ask specific questions. So, you know, you want to ask those who are being considered for elder and deacon, what is your position in terms of abortion? Do you have ties to any racist groups? 
Amy, you mentioned kinism. That was brand mm-hmm. new to me when I I had never heard right. of it yeah. until I became a president. And so I got online and started looking at some of Just it. Just learned course, about this. Yeah, it, it's a perverted way to take Old Testament passages and make them definitive and normative for people for all time. And so, for instance, Israel being told not to intermarry among pagans becomes an abiding, timeless moral law for white people not to intermarry among other races and vice versa. So it's a perversion of scripture. And so, you know, I would imagine since some of this has been present historically among some Presbyterians, you'd want to make sure that those are views that are not held by any candidates for office in your church. And then like Carl said, if you've got a member of your church, let's say you're in Alabama or Mississippi or, and I don't want to single out those states or Kansas, you know, and somebody comes into your church, they're converted. They were brought up with a lot of kind of racist ideas. And some of that doesn't wash out of your mind a hundred percent on the day of your conversion, you know, treat it as a matter of discipleship. And that person coming more and more to understand what it means to love their neighbor and to see every other person as an image bearer of God with equal dignity. You'd want to make that part of their discipleship. Well, and I'm thinking, too, when we're talking about abortion, there's the moral issue of, how you know, being pro-life. Mm-hmm. But then there's also when we're voting. And this is different from what your letter to Andrew White Mm-hmm. is about. But when we are voting, or even if you are a politician, sometimes we have to vote within, okay, I will never vote for abortion, mm-hmm. but I might vote for this candidate who has isn't as pro-life as I am because I think these other causes that they're doing are worth voting for this candidate over the other candidate. Like there's mm-hmm. definite areas where we're going to have congregants and elders voting differently and, and, and people in the church who are politicians sure. having to, you know, kind of make compromises that their faith doesn't support mm-hmm. so much. But yeah, and I would say, I mean, for me, I mean, one issue voters are sometimes criticized, but I would say ultimately probably everybody's a one issue voter. There's a line that everybody would draw that, oh, if a person actually advances exposition, then I could never vote for them. You know, and abortion is, is certainly an, an issue for me that I couldn't vote for someone. However, I wouldn't uh, discipline somebody who voted for a Democrat, for instance. Right. Um, if they asked me my opinion, I'd be happy to share that with them and talk with them about it, but I wouldn't discipline them, them for that. Now, if I have somebody running for office in my church who is saying, look, I'm going to veto any legislation that would seek to limit abortion then I would have a serious conversation with that person and then perhaps with the session as to whether or not that constitutes a matter for discipline, and I would suggest that it does. Yeah, well, because, that's a different issue, though, because right, they're, right. they're actually campaigning uh-huh. mm-hmm. and for that, abortion. Right, and so I want to circle back to this. On that particular issue, then, one of the things, as people corresponded with me about the situation in, with the Texas church and the gubernatorial candidate, I was asked several times, well, are there even grounds to discipline him? Meaning, and Carl, this goes back to your point about the Sixth Commandment. I, you know, I think most of us look at the Sixth Commandment and say, well, that's a no-brainer. Of course that applies mm-hmm. to abortion. But there are PCA elders that don't see it that way, that don't interpret the Sixth <laughs> Commandment because it doesn't, quote, name abortion. They say that the Sixth Commandment doesn't speak to it. 
But that's why I made my comment earlier that this goes back to your understanding of human personhood. Uh-huh. What you understand life to be, what you understand murder to be, connects to what you understand uh, personhood right. to be. And I would then want to make a case that actually from the moment of conception, mm-hmm. you have the constitution of a person right. who therefore has the right to protection mm-hmm. from bodily physical harm. So those who say, well, abortion's not mentioned in there. Well, first of all, I'd, I'd want to make a case while saying it doesn't have to be explicitly mentioned for right. them to be assuming it's there. The Didache, the, the earliest kind of confessional document we have mentions it. Right. This was the unspoken assumption mm-hmm. of the church at the time. So the fact it isn't explicitly mentioned there doesn't really present a very strong argument. I agree. But secondly, we understand the Sixth Commandment against the general teaching of anthropology in the Confessions. Mm -hmm. And I think there, it's very, very hard then to make a case that you can have a Christian biblical anthropology that doesn't grant the status of personhood Mm -hmm. to the child in the womb at the moment of conception. Right. And you have every time the biblical text addresses life in the womb, yeah. the assumption yeah. is that that is a human life made in the image of God. Yeah. That's to always say, the assumption. To say it isn't in the confession is an intellectually lazy response, I think. Couldn't and, agree more. And that's part of my concern because, okay, so in terms of racism, you know, the PCA has, has passed several resolutions, public repentance, corporate repentance for slavery, and then corporate repentance most recently for the 60s civil rights era, where there were Presbyterian churches very much complicit in racist attitudes and racist actions. And so it's good and proper to address that. And, and it's very clear, you know, these days that racism is anathema in the PCA. I'm sure there are some racists hiding around in the PCA, but it is very clearly, we've made some very clear public pronouncements about that. My concern is that I think the PCA is vulnerable on the issue of abortion. And this latest instance suggests that in my opinion, because there are PCA elders going, well, you know, there aren't technically grounds to discipline that man. Now, again, just as you explained, Carl, I think that that's intellectually lazy, but that hasn't stopped denominations from doing all kinds of stupid things in the past. Yeah, yeah. And so my question is, you know, do some of our denominations need a very clear constitutional statement, you know, with constitutional heft? Well, the, the OPC has a report, I think, from 1970 on the issue mm-hmm. of abortion. I'd have to go back and look yep. at it. But there were two reports submitted, and Paul Woolley, the professor who's who gives his name to the chair I now hold right. at Westminster Seminary, right. he presented the pro-abortion minority <laughs> Really? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, there are a couple of things you've got to remember. One, it's hopelessly, I mean, it's, it's a hopeless piece of work. It's dreadfully argued. And secondly, the knowledge of what was going on in the womb in 1970 compared to what we have today. You know, there's, there's no comparison. So there are reasons why Woolley got it wrong. One, he wasn't a great intellectual, I don't think, a great arguer. And two, he didn't have all the facts at his disposal. Yeah. But I bear the name of thinking uh-huh. only pro-abortion. Let's see. <laughs> and, and, he, and he may have also had mixed up notions of what the church's responsibility is in terms of speaking into various... Yeah legislative issues you know who presented the majority report that carried the day john frame oh wow 
young John Frame, I think, authored the majority report on abortion for the OPC. So it doesn't have confessional status, right. but it does lay out yep. what the OPC understands mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of abortion. Well, and, a, and a bigger question, too, is are both officers in the OPC and the PCA willing to do what it takes to hold people accountable to these positions, both with when we're talking about this concerned Presbyterian group and when we're talking about the stuff like, you know, Andrew White's statement, you just see a lot of that Mm -hmm. not being followed through. Yeah. And Amy, that's a huge point because what we see, I've seen many, many instances, you know, in my own denomination about just an unwillingness to discipline deviations from our standards. And so, you know, we have these standards, but we just don't always discipline. Do they matter? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, people don't want to be the bad guy. Yeah. And I understand because even to write an open letter, as I found out, to very open and public statements from a candidate for governor of the state of Texas, for me simply to challenge uh, his views and call him to change his views, I was met with some real anger being called unchristian and and, no yeah. doubt Matthew 18 made its usual silly oh, yes. uh, oh, in yes, a totally relevant context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, Amy, the point you're making is huge. I think some of this mischief would be taken care of if we simply had the courage of our convictions or the courage of our confession and, yeah. and discipline deviations. And that's critical uh, because I don't know if you've read the Robert Wilkin essay, The Church as Culture. I have not it read that. It was First Things in about 2004. I actually heard it given as a lecture at the Princeton Center for Theological Inquiry just before it was published. But he makes the point that the church is a culture. It's mm. not to redeem culture. It is a right. culture in and of itself. And a culture is constituted by a set of beliefs and a set of practices. Mm-hmm. And I think what we have often in our churches is a set of beliefs and a set of practices that are not consistent with those beliefs. Right. You know, if you say you, you're pro-marriage, but you tolerate adultery, right. no-fault divorce, and this kind of thing within your ranks, then really your, your culture is not a pro-marriage culture. Mm-hmm. It's just a worldly culture that you're disguising and hiding yeah. under a rather disingenuous commitment. And it's hard. You know, when marriages fall apart, it's hard in a church to discipline. Right. Because you're dealing with small community of people where everybody knows everybody else and it seems to be nasty what you do, but you got to do it. And I, right. I think what you came across last week, Todd, is that writ large, it's going to be hard to take down a leading Democrat in Texas espousing right. anti-Christian views. Right. But if your church wants to be taken seriously as, as pro-life, it has no choice. Right. It has no right. choice. Yeah. And and so what we're suggesting, I think, is that if you're a Christian denomination that holds to historic Christian confessions, that holds to the scriptures, then your position, as Carl and Amy, you both have mentioned, your position on the doctrine of man automatically, it seems to us, automatically should make your position on things like racism, the new sexual revolution and the gender chaos and abortion. It should make your positions on those matters pretty clear if we believe what the Bible tells us about what it means to be human. Well, thanks very much for joining us today. There are other issues that we could have addressed. I think that all all track back to human personhood, euthanasia, the right mm-hmm. to die, eugenics, mm-hmm. all kinds of issues bubbling up for the church. Now, transhumanism, mm-hmm. all kinds of issues bubbling up, and they all go back, I think, to some basic anthropological suppositions that we make. Anthropology has to be 
one of the key areas where the church needs to reflect and think Mm -hmm. and then apply in terms of church life, church discipline, those kind of matters. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please go to our website, mortificationofspin.org. And if the Spirit calls you to do it, please make a cash donation while you are there. In the meantime, we look forward to being with you next week. All but when I'm away from you, honey, time always never flies. And sleeping all alone in that holiday hotel show makes a cowboy blue. But here I am in Houston and I'm one day closer to you. Houston, Houston means that I'm one day closer to you. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... So let's bring it to an issue that I think is of pressing importance in a lot of churches, and that's the issue of voting. Todd would never vote for anyone who has ever done secular yoga. Whatever our liberties may be, and however far our liberty extends, one of the things that we know helps to fence in the choices that we make is love. That interview is next time. Join us then. And has Amy you been? You are three hours away from me right now. And and has has Amy been darning socks and canning beans lately? You know that could really. <laughs> well, I think we need to call Matt the teacher from now on. <laughs> <laughs> and how is the teacher today? <laughs> <laughs> have you have you have you canned? Have, did you can sufficient beans for the winter? <laughs> um.